Well, good morning again. When, G- when Charles Spurgeon opened up the book of Hebrews to start preaching from it in May of 1882, he said, I have nothing to do tonight but to preach Jesus Christ. Don't you wish more pastors would say that? Pastors all around the world would say, I have nothing to do today but to preach Jesus Christ. This morning, as I indicated, we're starting a new sermon series entitled, Jesus is Better. I think all of us know that Jesus is better, but we do not always live our lives as if Jesus is better. One of the main goals of the writer of Hebrews was to make sure that each of his readers knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is indeed better. We're told in Hebrews that Jesus is a better messenger, that Jesus is a better leader, that Jesus is a better high priest, and that Jesus is a better covenant. Our message point this morning is very simple. Christ is superior to all. Christ is superior to all. Pastor Jake Arnold shared these words. Who is Christ? Why is it so important to believe in Christ? What makes Christ different from any other religious leader? These are legitimate questions that men ask today. And these same questions were asked by the people to whom the epistle of Hebrews was written to. Professing Hebrew Christians were beginning to question the superiority of Christ over Judaism. They were leaving Christianity in order to return to the Jewish temple rituals which they so enjoyed. Some were drifting from the truth of Christ and doubting their faith. One commentator shares the letter to Hebrews was written to encourage Christians in a time of trial. It does so by focusing on the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Philip E. Hughes wrote, It is the most extensively developed and logically sustained piece of theological argumentation in the whole of the New Testament. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. The writer does not start off this book like like so many of Paul's letters where Paul addresses himself as the author and also um, addresses the recipients. The writer of Hebrews doesn't do that. So we don't know exactly who the author is, nor do we know when the book was written. Most likely, it was written in the mid-60s before the destruction of the temple which occurred in 70 A.D., We don't know who it was written by, but again, we have a good idea who it was written to. It was written to those who were faltering in their faith and questioning the truth. It was also written to those who were experiencing suffering and persecution. Think about what it would have been like to live during the first century. I've I've said over and over that I wish and long for that day when we look like that first church, when we look like that Acts 2 church. It's from that Acts 2 church that we get our core values. And by way of reminder, our core values, we value as a church and are committed to as a church the Word of God, living in Christ-centered community and fellowship with one another. We pray big prayers around here. We are generous with, with what the Lord has blessed us with. We worship in spirit and truth, and we are committed to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. Daily, 
in that first church, people were being added. Daily, people were getting saved. And most likely, daily, those baptismal waters were being stirred. There would have been an amazing sight to see. But in the midst of the church's explosion came some of the greatest persecution the church has ever seen. Left and right, the disciples and early church leaders were being killed for their faith. They, as they advanced the gospel, and they were taking their final breaths on the battlefield. It was both an amazing time to live and a dangerous time to be a Christian. I would say in parts of our world today, it is just as dangerous to be a professing Christian. I read just this week that a church in Ethiopia lost 750 of its members. They were slaughtered by mercenaries. During our days, people that live in parts of Africa and Asia and the Middle East are losing their lives because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Just like the author wrote these words to his recipients to encourage them, he has written to us as well to encourage us. There are people all around the world that need to hear words of encouragement, right? They need to hear words of affirmation. We find those words right here in God's word. We also have those words in our heart, and we need to share those words with other people. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 4 together this morning. But we read, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever longed to hear the word of the Lord spoken to you? Have you ever wished that God would speak to you in an audible voice like he did to those of yesteryears? You know, the Lord may not speak to us as he did in the past, but we can be absolutely certain that the Lord still speaks to us. Notice our first point this morning. It is God spoke. In verse 1 again, we read, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And we have record a record of him speaking to us right here in the Bible, don't we? It is without a doubt the most important book in all of the world. Did you know that over 100 million Bibles are sold or given away every single year? The Bible is the most widely distributed and best-selling books of all time. 
The Bible has been translated into 349 different languages. A survey conducted by the Bible Society concluded that between 1815 and 1975, around 2.5 billion copies were printed. It is believed today that there's been somewhere in, in, in the neighborhood of 5 billion Bibles printed. Billions of Bibles have been printed over the past two centuries. Hundreds of millions of Bibles are within arm's length of, 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 of people within free societies. And we are told within God's Word that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We are told that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We are told that it is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We are told that it will stand forever, that it is true, that it is the power to save us, and that it will help uh, keep us from sinning. Every single person that holds the word of God in their hands, they hold the truth. And this truth has the power to lead a person toward eternal life, doesn't it? This right here is the greatest of all books. It is, it is, it is an organism. It is alive. It is living. And when we get in it, it will change us. And the one thing that we can be absolutely certain of is that the Word of God can be counted on 100% of the time, unlike the Word of man, right? How many of you have ever been disappointed by the Word of your fellow man or woman, however you want to look at it? All of us have, haven't we? How many of you have ever disappointed somebody with your words? All of us have, right? Well, this past week, Danny and I got away for a few days, and we went to Orlando. And on our to-do list was to go to NASA's Kennedy Space Center. You know, I love space, and, and, and man, most of the time when there is a rocket that's launching live, I'll, I'll pull it up on my computer screen, and I will watch that, that rocket launch because there's something about it that's just mesmerizing to me. Well, I've never seen a, a live launch before, and so Danny and I were looking on Kennedy Space, uh, NASA's website, and, and it indicated that on Tuesday morning at 8.15, there was going to be a SpaceX launch from the Kennedy Space Center. And so Danny and I planned to go. So we got up on, early on, on Tuesday morning, and, and um, we took our shower, we got dressed, and we were about to walk out the door at 6.30 in the morning. And I said, let me just look just one last time just to make sure that there are no changes, um, you know, that it wasn't canceled or delayed. Well, guess what? The word of man let me down again. Our government let me down again. They said that there was going to be a launch, but that launch was canceled. Folks, the words of men most of the time are about as good as the paper that they are written on, right? We've all heard that. However, the word of God the word of God will last forever. In 1 Peter 1.25 we read, But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Do you believe that the word of God is true and that it will last forever? If you believe it, 
Then let me ask you a question this morning. How much time did you spend in it this week? The writer of Hebrews reaches into history's past to remind his recipients that in the past, God spoke to man through his prophets. Think about that for just a moment. God actually spoke to man, and many times in an audible voice. He would speak to them through dreams. He would speak through to them through prophets. He spoke in many different ways to people of old. But here's what I want us to see this morning. The writer of Hebrews does not waste any time in communicating to his writers that in the past, the way that God spoke was good. But how he speaks to man today is better. Today, he speaks to us by his son. Our second point is Jesus speaks. In verse 2, we read, But in the last days he spoke, um, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God speaking to man in the Old Testament was good, but him speaking through his Son is better is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. The very son that spoke creation into existence came and dwelt among us, and today he still speaks with us and dwells within us. We read in John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him we have, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we're told right here that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. In John 1.14, we're told, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in John 1.18, we read, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. It is only by Christ that we can see God, know God, speak to God, be spoken to by God, and come to God. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I quote this verse all the time. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. One writer points out that, um, kind of broke this up, saying Jesus is the way. Without him, there is no going. Jesus is the truth, and without him, there's no knowing. Jesus is the life, and without him, there is no living. Now, what the writer does, after making it abundantly clear that Jesus is better, he, he lays out for us the characteristics of Jesus, who Jesus is, and, 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 and how he has been appointed by God the Father. And we read here that, that he appointed Jesus. God the Father appointed Jesus the heir of all things. God the Father made Jesus the heir of all things, and heir is the recipient of his father's labors. In scripture, time and time again, we read of the firstborn male being the recipient of all that the father had. They're the heir of all of his riches, of his land, of his cattle, of his servants, and of his position. In fact, in many societies today, that is still true, isn't it? Everything 
God the Father has made Jesus the heir of everything. And let me share with you this morning that the top of his list of inheritance is you and me. We are the greatest of Jesus' possessions, my friends. And we're told in Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The glorious inheritance is you and I being the possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty awesome, isn't it? You are the greatest possession of Jesus. We also see in in verse um, 2 that through him, he also created the world. Side by side, the son stood by the father and spoke everything into existence. Think about that for a second. He created the earth that you and I sit on or stand on or whatever He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He created all of life. He set the earth on a perfect axis, spinning at 1,000 miles per hour uh, at the equator. He he, he made the earth fly through space at 67,000 miles per hour is how fast we rotate around the sun every single year. He created our galaxy the Milky Way, which is about 100,000 light years in length. It's about 6 trillion miles wide. But here's the thing. Our galaxy is one of only of about 100 million million galaxies. And apparently, they're still discovering galaxies. We're just one of many. They say that the most distant galaxy is 8 billion light years away. And it is racing through space at 200 million miles per hour. How they know these things, I don't know. But some like to say that all of this just happened by chance. But I'm here to tell you this morning that it did not. Everything was spoken into existence by God the Father and God the Son. And we see that, through, that, that throughout all of Scripture, it is God that holds it all together, isn't he? We also see in our next point that the writer now um, gives us a glimpse into Jesus' character. That's our third point. Notice what we read in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here, the writer gives us a glimpse of Jesus' character, doesn't he? It is as if the veil has been removed and we are able to see the perfect character of the Lord. He tells us of his glory. In verse 3, we read in the verse part, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus does not just reflect the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. One one illustration that I read um, um, put it like this. Imagine that, that, that God the Father is the Son and that Jesus represents the rays that are coming forth from the Son. 
Both of them are the sun. Both of them are, are, are the source of light. Both of them are the exact same. And we're told here in Scripture that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. As believers, not only do we know that the Son reflects the Father and the Father reflects the Son, you and I, because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the glory of God within us. And guess what we are to do? We are to reflect the glory of God as well. Next, the writer speaks of Jesus' nature. We read that he is the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father. The visual here is that of a mold that has been cast, and that mold is used to to make an exact replica of of, of the, the, the impression that it has made. Jesus is the exact imprint. He is 100% same in nature and appearance as God the Father. When we have gazed upon the Son, we have gazed upon the Father. And when we have gazed upon the Father, we have gazed upon the Son. After Jesus' conversation with Thomas about, about God the Father and about heaven. Philip poses this question in John 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You often hear someone say that that, that child is the spitting image of their parent. Well, when we think about God the Father and God the Son, we can say of the Son that he is the, he is the exact image of the exact nature. He is the exact imprint of God the Father. Jesus is exactly like the Father. And, and this is important because when you think about Judaism, when you think about those that lived in the first century, they were waiting on a Messiah that, that came in, 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 in kingly form, not a humble servant as Jesus was. So, so many Jews are still waiting on Jesus to come, just like they're still waiting today for Jesus to come. And so whenever they read these words of truth, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father, that was important. That was life-transforming words for them. The next characteristic we see, which is um, C and D on your, on your um, outline this morning, is he is strength and his power. And we see here, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If you ever wondered if the Lord is still active in his creation, wonder no more. He makes it abundantly clear within this passage that he is. He is the glue that holds the universe together. Nothing happens without his knowledge and nothing happens without his approval. He actively sustains everything by the power of his word. We read in Colossians 1, 15 again. I want to read to you for 15 through 20, Colossians chapter 1. We read, he is the image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus actively sustains everything by the power of his word. He holds the universe and everything together. Everything is held together by the Lord, and everything submits to his word. Think about when Jesus walked the earth. He spoke, and the winds, and the rains, and the waves submitted to his words. He spoke, and the lame were healed. The mute could speak. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. Jesus healed person after person after person after person. Even the demons obeyed and submitted to Jesus. You know, the only ones that seem not to obey him, you and me. We're the only ones that seem oftentimes not to obey the word of God. We live more like loose cannons than we do submitted servants of Jesus Christ. We, we hear him speak and we read his truthful words, but for some odd reason, we choose not to listen and not to obey. And I'm not saying we, that's said of us 24-7 because that's not true. But there are times throughout our days that we choose to live independent of God, don't we? Why is that? Why do we not trust the Lord as we know we should? Notice next we see Jesus' accomplishment. After making purification for sins, we read. What did the work of Jesus Christ accomplish? It is quite clear within this verse, isn't it? Jesus came to provide a way for each and every one of us in this room to be purified and to be cleansed from our sins. Our sermon series is called Jesus is Better. He is better because of who he is and what he did. He did for us what no one could ever do. He died for us. He, he did for us what no animal sacrifice could ever do. He provided a way for our sins to be eternally forgiven and a way for us to be eternally rewarded with life everlasting. What does it take to be forgiven? What does it take to receive eternal life? It takes you and I repenting of our sins and turning to Jesus and asking him to forgive us of those sins. It takes believing that Jesus indeed is Lord of all. Do you believe this morning? Have you repented of your sins? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation and, and, and eternity that has been made available to you? If not, why not? Finally, we see the glorious majesty of Jesus. We read that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When the work was done, Jesus ascended back into the heavenlies and he took his rightful seat at the right hand of God the Father. His work was finished. His work 
was complete. You remember what Jesus said as he hung upon the cross? What he cried out? His last words were, it is finished. His work was finished. He had come and lived and worked and traversed this land. He lived a perfect life in order to die in our place as an unblemished lamb. He who humbled himself and came and dwelt among us now has been supremely exalted back to his position within the heavenlies from which he descended. He is Lord. He is King. And he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. If you have not accepted him this morning, I pray that you will accept him as your Lord and Savior. As I look across this room, I think I can say that, that all of us are Christ followers. But I think all of us also can say that we know people that are not. Let us be bold and take the gospel to them. Let us go to them and share with them the good news of salvation. Let us invite them to church so that they can hear the good news of salvation. Let let us be obedient to the Great Commission. Our final point this morning is Jesus' supremacy. We read in verse 4, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. To put a period on this section of Scripture, the writer makes it clear that Jesus is better and much more, more superior than the angels. This is where we're going to start next week. But I wanted us to see and conclude here because we are going to see statements like that throughout Hebrews where Jesus is superior, where Jesus is better, where Jesus is best. And for these Hebrews that were, that were contemplating whether or not to follow Jesus or not to follow Jesus, these words that they heard were important because they put so much faith in, 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 in the words that had been spoken to them by man. Now they have Jesus speaking to them. We have Jesus that is speaking to us, and Jesus is better. Jesus is best. Jesus is superior. If you don't know Jesus this morning, then I'm going to be standing here in just a moment, and I want to invite you to come to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. If you know Jesus, then let me encourage you during this time of invitation. Let's bow our heads and ask Jesus to reveal to us who we need to share the good news of salvation with. Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Again, Father, just thanking you for our time in your word, thanking you for our time of worship, thanking you, Lord Jesus, just for being you, for being the creator of all things, for being the radiance of God the Father, for being of the exact same nature and imprint of God the Father for coming and dwelling amongst us, living a perfect life, dying a sinner's death so that we don't have to die a sinner's death. 
Thank you for the free gift of salvation that you have made available to every single person who would place their faith and trust in you, every single person that would repent of their sins. Lord Jesus, I ask now as we conclude this time together that Lord Jesus, you, Father, will move within our hearts. Reveal to us who we need to take the good news of salvation to. Reveal to us, Lord Jesus, how we need to respond to your word this morning. Lord, just move now. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.